G'day partners, welcome to this week's review episode of Bet With Brilliance, uh, the review podcast for Australia Cup Day at Flemington and at Randwick we had uh, Canterbury Stakes Day. Uh, joining me in to review all the action is Jared Fish, the Sydney analyst for Brilliance Racing Fish. How are you mate? G'day Jack, going well mate. Yeah, plenty of surprises and um, shocks on the weekend but that's horse racing for you and um, yeah, looking forward to Talking it through with you today. Yeah, absolutely. It was another strip out for punters this weekend following Australian Guineas Day, uh, where the list of, of big names and, and short favourites to go down, I mean, it didn't stop on Saturday, did it? It went right through till today with Charlie Rose in the Adelaide Cup. Uh, the big names that I've got here and, and the short favourites, Nature Strip, September Run, Bivouac, Profiteer, Aegon, Personal, Anavisto, Oxley Road and 50 Stars, all either very short in the market or obviously you've got your big names, the Nature Strips, the September Runs or both, and uh, not one of those horses won on Saturday, mate. Yeah, unbelievable. It was just crazy what happened on the weekend. Um, just all of them went down and I was just saying to you before, imagine um, all the sports betting tab agencies and that with all the multis. I had a fair few of those horses in a couple of multis and I think one of them I had four red X's on it because one, not even one of them got over the line. So, yeah, it's just part of the sport, but I guess that, that's what drags us in and that's why we love it, I guess. Yeah, that's it because one day it's going to be all ticks there and there'll be a fortune in our account and we'll be laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, going back over last weekend, and this might be a beautiful segue into it because I did have a multi going. Um, I thought the best bets in Sydney there were Nature Strip. Uh, Bivouac and Aegon, they all went down. I had those as I thought the best in, in Sydney. Uh, September Run and 50 Stars I had in, in Melbourne, I thought were really smart bets. And then because uh, Cancino was my each way and none of those got the chocolates fish. How did you go, mate? Yeah, I, I got one over the line. I had, uh, my best bet was Wild Ruler in the first. Um, and he's living up to his expectations now and got the job done. Sort of just jumped, jumped well there, led around the corner and didn't really let him get close to him. So it was a piece of a ride by J-Mac and he got the job done for me. Um, my value bet was Scarlet Dream in the last who got scratched and then I put uh, G-Start in, who was on debut for um, Barry and Hawks. And um, she debuted pretty... Um, she trolled quite well leading into a debut, sorry. And then and then she just sort of pulled up at the 600 mark there and didn't even go on with it, so... I went and checked the stewards report today. Just said she overraced early and had a post-race bet check and it was all clear. So not sure what went wrong there, but yeah, got wild ruler over the line, which was a good start. Yeah, that was quite a handsome win to start the day. Uh, star performer of the week, mate. Who have you got there? Star performer of the week. I had to give it to Eduardo in that uh, challenge stakes. Oh, what was it? Sorry, yeah, challenge stakes with um, Nature Strip. Just um, the way that he fought back over the line there to get over the top and such a good ride by Nashi to get him there. And then also they've, they've both broken the track record. So, I mean, what a race that was. And, yeah, he was certainly my star performer of the week. What about yourself? I've given mine to Zatori. Um, the fashion in which he won that Newmarket handicap was incredible. He carried the big weight even though he's never won a Group 1 before. And beating the likes of September run spots that... Brooklyn Hustle, who had been tipped by 
experts much better than, than myself and went on to – we ran just in behind a really hot pace and finished off really well. Um, he's just beaten some incredible sprinters there and, and did a great job. Um, I've definitely got a, spe- a special mention to readily available in the size uh, the size uh, race for the two-year-olds over the 1,400 metres. We'll get into that. I will go into that a bit more shortly, but uh, I've got – Definitely a special mention was ready avail- uh, readily available there. Um, what about Rider of the Week, mate? Who did you think pulled off the best one on Saturday? Um, yeah, Rider of the Week, I, I gave that to Nashi as well. I know it's a bit strange giving it to the same same person, but just he just absolutely threw himself on Eduardo. And I liked his um, post-race interview where he said he just really studied the race before and um, knew that they were all leaders. And Eduardo is known to be a leader as well. But he just told himself, convinced himself that he was going to try and hold him back and ride him a bit quieter. And, and uh, yeah, just threw himself at the end and got the job done. So, yeah, I gave it to Nashi as well on Eduardo. What about yourself? I've given mine to Jai McNeil on Homesman in the, uh, the Australian Cup. I'll get into it more why I've given him the best ride uh, shortly. But the way that he stuck Homesman, up on the pace from the start, uh, kept him in one of the, I think it was in lane two or three, something like that, for the entirety of the trip and managed to fend off, I think it was best of days there at the end. Uh, the way that he was able to do that was incredible. So to come off the back of a, of a Melbourne Cup and win an Australian Cup, I've given it to him. That was a really good ride. But um, looking at how the tracks played, mate, I thought they that it, Flemington, it was it was quite fair there. Maybe a slight leader bias, and um, it did look like it was tough to to make ground. I don't think anything that won. Oh, there actually no, I've, I'm wrong there. There was one horse around the circle at Flemington that came from the back of the field and and won in the straight. So we'll get into that shortly. But um, I thought there was a bit of a slight leader bias there, um, going from a good four and being upgraded to a good three at Flemington. How did it play at, at Randwick, mate? Mate, I want to give a massive uh, wrap to the track staff at Randwick because they've had a lot of racing on it recently and I thought it was extremely fair on the weekend. There was winners leading, there was winners coming from the back, down the middle. So all over the track played quite fair and I reckon um, every horse got their opportunity and I believe they're going to Rose Hill now for three weeks of racing to um, look after the Randwick before the start of the championship. So, yeah, but definitely a massive rub to the track staff at Randwick. It's been, been playing quite well lately. Yeah, I did notice that, I mean, you spoke about Wild Ruler in the first. He was able to lead all the way and win. They came from just in behind the pace and off the pace, the likes of Eduardo. And then I think it was uh, Lions Raw that won the guineas, came from the back of the field, didn't it? Yeah, Lions Raw come from flying from way back and he had a very quick last 600. He just got over the top right down the outside. So, yeah, that goes to show you how fair the track played and a bit of a wrap there for Brenton Abdullah as well. He seems to have lost a fair few rides lately. He's been struggling to pick up pick up a few, but, you know, to get the job done on the weekend on Lions Raw was, was great for him. And he was actually pretty emotional in his um, post-race interview, just sort of saying how hard he's been working to try and get back on top of things. And hopefully it all turns around for him soon because... I've certainly got a massive rap on him as a jockey and he's ridden a few of my horses before and you just you can approach him at the races and speak to him. He's just a all-around good bloke, gives you the right info. So 
So, yeah, hopefully it all turns around for him soon as well. Yeah, well, I've, I was thinking about that the other day. I, you go back a couple of years, I think it might have been Abdullah McAvoy, uh, James McDonald, and I think it was Nash were the four main Godolphin runners. So at one point he was one of the top picks for one of the top training uh, groups in the world, and now he's battling to book a ride. Yeah, well, I think he said it on his um, in his interview that John O'Shea, because John O'Shea used to be with Godolphin, and John was the one that gave him the opportunity there, and he still gives him the chance now. So it's good to see him get that win on the weekend. But, yeah, maybe that's one thing. He hasn't really lined himself up with sort of like a stable connection where he's regularly riding for one, and I think, you know, you see it every weekend. There's like Rachel King's riding for Godolphin, Tommy Berry's with the Hawks. They've all got their connections, and I think maybe he needs to find one because – He's a great jockey. I very rarely criticise his rides. So, yeah. But, yeah, hopefully it all turns around. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we were speaking about uh, Wild Rulers winning the first, mate. Did you want to take us through the first couple at Ramwick? Yeah. So, uh, first race was the Tokyo City Fireball Stakes 1100 for um, three-year-olds. Wild Ruler was fantastic there. Superb return first up. I had a 32.7 last 600. And as a leader, it's not easy to be finishing that strongly. I just love the maturity he showed to let Mamaragan go. Um, Bowman sort of led on Mamaragan and he was took off and went for it. And J-Mac was able to sort of have full control on him and he didn't chase him, didn't chase Mamaragan down. So, yeah, I thought that was fantastic. And I believe he's going to be heading to the Galaxy now, which is a group one over 1,100 on Golden Slipper Day. So that race, I think Eduardo will be in that one. So that race is shaping up to be a massive one. And um, I think on the lead, who finished in second there pretty strongly, he's probably capable of a big win soon. Race two was the Todman Stakes for two-year-olds, Colton Geldings, 1,200, lead up to the slipper. Um, Animo has proven to be very consistent. He came third in the second in the Blue Diamond prelude and then uh, finished very strongly to get third in the Blue Diamond. So then to come to Sydney and win this, he's right in the slipper picture for sure. James Cummings has a massive rut. Rachel's riding or riding well on the weekend. Um, 21.6 last 400. I believe the first four out of that race can win the Golden Slipper, which is Profiteer, who over-raced. Staying side was just very luckless and got caught at the back there, and J-Mac had to be very patient, and when he got out, he flew home quite well. Home Affairs was good. Um, got a very big pass mark as well, so... Yeah, I think um, all four of those horses will be a chance on a slipper day anyway. What about Flemington, mate? I, much the same as yourself. I mean, there was no prizes for picking the first at Flemington, but I did start well. Uh, the first winner we had, or the, the winner of the first, uh, the 1,200-metre thoroughbred breeders' stakes uh, was LaRoque. One in quite a good fashion, uh, went 3.6 legs of lengths above the benchmark. She was a bit wayward in the straight, but uh, best sectionals of the straight to the 400 metres. Um, flying Evelyn was the best from the four to the two. So I think you can follow both of those going forward. Uh, I did make a note in the preview that I wrote for Saturday that LaRoque needed to, to load into the gates and get out of them well, and she did, which was an improvement on her previous start. And then the the way that Flying Evelyn's finished that race, I think maybe looking to 
1,400 metres could be a go, but I think you can follow the top two there. Now, bringing up the second race was over 1,400 metres. And sorry, partners, we've been battling all kinds of internet and technical issues here this evening. This is about the fourth time that we've tried to record this fish and we've just been absolutely struggling for it. Race two was the Lexus Melbourne Cup tour uh, over 1,400 metres. Cumberbatch got the win there, uh, going 8.7 lengths above the benchmark. Anavisto was the red-hot favourite going into that race and did record the fastest sectionals for that race from the 1,200 metres all the way to the post. So that was where I was suggesting earlier that it might have been a bit of a leader by track. Anavisto missed the start massively and Cumberbatch was up in the second pair and Jamie Carr was able to get room in the straight. And she's actually copped a, a three-meeting suspension for that, I did see. So I don't know what we're going to do for the next few weeks, not having Jamie Carter back in Melbourne. Um, I don't even know another jockey down there. So that'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but I think you can back Ana Vista wherever she goes next start, um, put in a massive race. No, sorry, wherever he goes, uh, put in a massive race there. Uh, like I said, fastest from the 12 to the post. As long as um, as long as he doesn't miss the start, he'll be winning, I reckon. Race three in um, Sydney was the Riesling Stakes, 1,200 for Phillies, which is the, another slipper leader. Um, one thing I noted was that the race was almost a, a second slower um, than the, the male race. And I know that doesn't really mean much on paper, but if you look at the way the Profiteer was racing in that, uh, male race and the pace that they they went out early and the fillies were a lot uh, a lot slower. You would have thought that I would have thought the male race might have ended up a bit slower in the time wise. So going forward to the slipper, I'm sort of wiping this race out of the out of the picture. Um, Glistening won the race, just well ridden leader really. John Van Overmeer got the job done. Um, was able to she took the lead and then she just sort of relaxed and had had the front quite easy. I think that's why they the, the two horses that um, ran home best, Swift Witness and Trafalchio, that's probably why they couldn't get there because the pace just wasn't wasn't on like it, like it needed to be. Um, heading forward to the slip of the pace will be on, but it's hard to see any of those horses getting over the top of some of the names I mentioned before. Swift Witness is building a pretty good record and there is a few people that have a, a rap on Trafalchio, but I think they might get better as they go into their uh, three-year-old campaigns, to be honest. Um, Randwick City Stakes was a 2,000 metre race I listed 2,000 Mount Popper that, that just looked like the easiest win of the day Tommy Berry was just seated on there all the way to about the 300 metre mark and Sacramento was doing what he usually does he's his usual tough self out in front there and looked pretty comfortable and then you just seen he, around the band you just seen Tommy come out honestly he was just sitting there just Looking around, calm, collected. I actually started blowing up with the TV at one stage, like telling him to get his persuader out to make sure the job was done because I had a quite a decent bet on. But anyway, when he did ask, he ran home very well and I think he's going to go on to some, some big wins over his career. I think we can follow Collide, the overseas horse with Chris Lee's Aussie Bloodstock. He had a trial four weeks prior to the race and um, he's certainly looking for further ground. So up to 2,400 and onto a wet, uh, softer track, then I'm pretty keen to have a play on him. Back to Flemington. 
Yeah, mate, race three was the the Furphy Ale, the March Stakes, again over the 1,400 metres here. Massive talking point, I think, coming out of this race. The winner was Sosie Bond. One of the highest rating or the second highest rating race from the day, and I'm just double-checking that. Yeah, second highest. So we're 11.2 lengths above benchmark for that race. Sosie Bond, these are massive numbers for him. Uh, the old boy, he was the fastest of the race from the 1,200 to the 200. Uh, and he had the fastest last 1,200, 600 and 400 of the entire meeting. So when you think of some of the horses that ran on Saturday and you're talking about horses that are starting to come into peak fitness, they're set for races, these are grand finals. And Sosie Bonds, on paper, blitzed them all. He put in a massive run to win that one. Uh, this is another big talking point that I've got coming out of the weekend. It's getting a bit boring. These are all over 1,400 metres. Sorry, partners. The, well, I guess I don't make up the races. Uh, it was the size produce stakes for two-year-olds over the 1,400 metres. Lightsaber led all the way and won that one, went 5.4 lengths above the benchmark. It looks like he got away with Grand Larceny at the start there with an easy lead uh, looking at the numbers and then readily available. This is where I wanted to make mention of readily available, uh, fastest of the race from the 1,200 to the post. He was seventh fastest 1,200 metres for the meeting, second fastest 400 metres of the meeting and the fastest last 200 200 metres of the entire meeting. Uh, That's, for a a two-year-old, that's incredible. You're up there with the likes of Sosie Bond, who's been there, done it before, group one horse. We all know that. To put in... Sectionals like that and beat on paper some of the horses that were there on the day. Uh, that's just incredible for me. So I think you can follow readily available wherever he goes. Surely going to win next start. Uh, we'll make a mention of Hitotsu as well, who was held up by a few horses in the straight there. I know he had to go around the heels of pounding and then another horse uh, before getting some clear air and doing some good work. But second fastest last 400 of the meeting and the fastest last 200 for readily available 1400 metres won't be an issue maybe even get out to a mile and might run a strong mile Um, there but uh, I think we're into the fat of the Melbourne uh, the sorry the Sydney card are we now mate yeah race four was um, the challenge stakes group two thousand metre race this was the race of the weekend for me which it's funny to say that when there was only two horses fighting it out at the end, but um, they've, they've put four lengths on the field and boy, it was good to watch. Um, they broke the track record. Both of them broke the track record um, by half a second. 55.2 seconds for Eduardo. Nature Strip right behind him. Crazy thing about it is Nature Strip posted a 9.83 second, 800 to 600, just to make sure he got the lead. So... I know that I did say that he was a risk at $1.45 and it turned out to be that way, but you cannot take anything away from that run. He couldn't run any better. He's just been beat by a horse that's probably had his career best run, Eduardo, um, and showed some serious tenacity to get the job done. So I mentioned before, Eduardo is going to go to the Galaxy next. Uh, I'm not sure what Nature Strip will do. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the plans are there, but yeah, he's definitely going as good as he probably ever has. And he's certainly a 1,000-metre uh, bomb. 
Another crazy stat I got out of it was Nature Strip clocked at top speed of 71 kilometres an hour. So just picture, picture yourself driving your car down the road, 70 k's an hour, and you look out the window and Nature Strip's keeping up with you. <laughs> <laughs> Horses just aren't meant to run that fast. That's just, that is just unbelievable. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, I'm taking, I just, that was me race of the weekend, the two of them. I don't even want to talk about any other horses because those two just, that was unbelievable. How did you see it? Oh, now I'm just thinking about like you're in a 70 zone and you know, you, you stick a couple of caves under, you don't, you don't want to get nicked by the coppers or whatever. And on just in the right lane, nature strips peeling away from you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. <laughs> I all that figure, I went, you got to be joking. 70 k's an hour, well, that's that's quite pacey. And then you just got J Mac and nature strip waving to you in the right hand lane. Oh, dear. that's hilarious, mate. I, I thought it was a cracking race. I was on on the wrong end of the result, obviously having nature strip and a bit of an all up there. Uh, you would think that, like you said, given the, the ride that Nash gave Eduardo, he's just copped an absolute PR there. Um, it looks like to the eye, nature strip was a little bit flat in the last 50 or so metres. And that's where Eduardo's really picked him up. Um, but, yeah, I reckon you're looking at career best performance. And then when you think about it from a punting perspective, like if Eduardo goes to the Galaxy next week, you, surely he can't do that again. But he's going to be in the market now because he's just beaten Nature Strip. He has to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, interesting thing was um, Joe Pryor's interview after the race. He said Eduardo's got this um, sort of everyone – feels like he's, he's a leader and he takes off and he can't control himself, which that's what he did in the Everest and that's what the talk was leading up to the Everest. But Joe just said they wiped that race out of the picture. They just put it put it in the back of their minds because that's not the way he is. He's actually quite a relaxed horse and that was the only time he's done that. So that was an interesting one for me. And I went back and looked at it and he's probably right. He has over-raced a few times, but not that many. So now that you know that he can race the way that he did on the weekend, definitely brings him into the picture. The interesting thing was in that race, uh, Nature Ship got all the way out to $1.95, but the one horse that got back in was Written Beauty. About $6 into a $3.80, $3.50 starting, starting point, and there was, she was just nowhere to be seen. So the market definitely missed Eduardo, and I certainly missed him as well, but what a race it was. Yeah, got into the straight, and Britain Miss had nothing. Um, I was one of those. I thought, I think I just jagged a bonus bet from... Um, from somewhere else and I was like oh well I thought if anything's going to get past Nature Strip Britain Miss has shown this massive turn of thought that's where I want to be and yeah I don't know she's probably still trying to finish <laughs> yeah well that was what was going through my mind I thought the only horse that could I thought Eduardo might take Nature Strip for the lead and then they'll die late and Britain Beauty will get out of the top but certainly wasn't the case the two leaders just took off and probably burnt to be honest they probably burnt the rest of the field with their early pace and just no one could even go close. Four lengths is quite a substantial win. You see that in trials quite often, but not a, not a race like, not a thousand metre race like this. That's absolutely unbelievable, really. Yeah, not a group two where you're used to seeing, you, you know, you might see a bit of a breakaway winner in the last 100 or 50, 50 or 100 metres or the like the complete opposite way. It's a blanket finish and you've got a photo between half the field. Um, it was certainly incredible to see. What with the other big races in Sydney fish, what happened there? Only one other thing that I wanted to mention was we 
we might have to start calling um, National Gorilla Terry Bailey. He's got chucked the persuader up in the air and celebrated there after the finish, and I just went, fuck, he's called, he's called that early. <laughs> Shouldn't be swearing on the podcast either. Sorry, guys. But anyway, we'll move on. Race seven was the Rear McGuinness 1600 Group 1 for three-year-olds. Um, this was the race that Brenton Abdullah and John O'Shea got the job done. $26, just flying down the outside. Um, Moonga was a dead set good thing beaten, if you ask me. He was probably the right, the right of the day in terms of um, horses. <laughs> I can't stop laughing here. Yeah, anyway, he's, he's a gun horse bursting for a win. Barry got him out really late and oh, very, very late, to be honest with you. And he posted a quick 200. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, punters. Fish is still thinking. He's, he's thinking about his drive to work and... And nature oh, strips oh, is pulling up outside him tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then um, I guess Aegon was backed in $2.50. Everyone thought that he was going to continue his streak. But I guess the only um, criticism I've got there is it looked, and I don't like criticizing jockeys, but I was watching and um, Hugh Bowman had Aegon uh, like asking for, asking for it way too early. It looked like before the bend, Aegon was going for it around the field. And I just thought, how is he going to sustain this for the to the finish in a 1600 meter race and that turned out to be the case how did you see it mate <laughs> yeah i was wondering about that you make a really good point about how early uh bowman went on Aegon. do you think that do you think that the extra distance probably wasn't really like do you reckon he was still thinking like he was just thinking it's time to go now do you reckon it was the horse that's taken off because we spoke about and it's been spoken about that race that Buffalo River over raced in the blaming, that that was all, you know, do you blame Jamie Carr or do you blame Buffalo River? Who do you think, if anyone's at fault there, do you think that was Aegon going too early or was that Byman going too early? I think, oh, to me, watching it, I was watching Aegon at the time and it looked like Bowman was making his move at that, it just looked like he was making the move at that time. Um, I feel like it was potentially probably the strongest race that Aegon's raced in, a, a 1,600-metre like that, um, Group 1. And I just don't think he was ridden to be strongest over line. I mean, what I think really happened was I think Bowman just, he honestly thought, oh, how good's this horse? You know, he's going to get over the top and win this. But I think he might have, you know, that's a big call, but I think he might have just taken off a little bit too early and that that's what gave a few horses their chance. But... Then again, lines were all come from the back. Um, I think honestly think that if Moanga got anywhere, any clear space at the right time, I think he, he could have won that race by two lengths. And he's the big one for me to follow out of the race. Um, going forward to the Rose Hill Guineas, I just think I liked his first up run in Melbourne for Nation where he was three wide the trip pretty much and came third. So that was a pass mark. And then Absolutely good thing beaten this week. I just think third up, 2,000 metres. Annabelle Nation's crying out for a group one win. And I think this can be the one. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, Lions Raw as well. Probably I gave I gave him a chance in the Rose Hill Guineas, but I thought this one might be one run a bit too early for him. But Abdullah rode him a peach and got the job done. So there's certainly a few horses you can take out of the race. Um, yeah, so definitely keen to follow those two. Yeah, I think, I think Mwanga is going to be the biggest one going forward. Um, 2,000 metres, you would think all Mwanga needs is clear air and it could almost just be a put-in, pull-out job. It'll be interesting to see what the markets do when they open, whether punters are just going to absolutely launch in 
Um, I guess that that depends on the price entirely, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the worry. I mean, we got six dollars for him on the weekend because simply because everyone was back in Agon and and then but everyone's caught wind of that last two hundred meters there on the weekend and. I guarantee you, everyone wants to jump on and he'll probably start in that race. He'll guineas a, it'll be a good, good race, so I'm not sure, but I'd say he'd be a lot shorter than he was on the weekend. But it's hard to um, argue with the way that he's been racing this preparation. Yeah, absolutely. And you'd almost think that the race that he's had there, if that was his, if that was his peak and he can't go to that again, you might want to go and look for something to, to try and beat him. You might get some value somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. He'll definitely um, push a few other good horses out in the market, which well, it's going to make it a fun um, fun one to study in a few weeks' time, I guess. So, looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, we'll move on to the Canterbury Stakes, which this was another absolute fill-up for um, betting agencies. I heard before the race that um, Bibberwack had six times the investment of every other runner in the race, and he's run fourth, so he didn't even they didn't even have to give out bonus bets for that run. Um. And yeah, I just I didn't I didn't like Bibberwack um, in the in his first up run at thousand meters, the Lightning Stakes. Just didn't feel like he showed much there. And now I think it's a bit of a funny one because he's gone a thousand to thirteen hundred. He's nominated for the TJ Smith. I'm get, I'm assuming he's going to come back to twelve hundred and race in that. But uh, I'm not taking. I don't have any confidence towards him at the moment. Sabatiano just it was a perfectly timed run by Bowman. Um, Absolute gun first up horse who's now got $2.4 million in prize money. And then my horse who I tipped to win this race was uh, Mars Crusader, who I still think is a big follow for the Doncaster. I think the way that he raced on the weekend was a um, exactly exactly the way you want to see a 1,600-meter horse running a 1,300. I don't think he's a 1,600-meter horse or hasn't been in the past, but I think he might be this preparation. And the interesting thing there is... Um, this was a wait for age. So really on Mars Crusader's numbers, he would usually be four, four kilos lighter than um, Bibouac. They both raced at 59 due to their age. Going to the Doncaster, that's a standard handicap. So I think Crusader will be in pretty nicely at the weights in that race. And uh, yeah, even the way that he finished off that race to get third was, I thought, pretty impressive. Yeah, it's... I think it's exactly what you want to see from a horse that is about to go out to, to 1,600 metres again and especially he's going to carry a low weight. You've seen, we've seen in the past those low weights get back in the field, come out to the middle of the track and go flying down the middle. It'll be certainly, I guess if you back him and the, the race pans out exactly that way, it'll be a bit tough on the blood pressure because you'll be looking at how quick he's going and how much track's left for him to get to the, get to the post and so it could be couldn't be pretty ordinary for the heart rate. But um, Bivouac, I thought at one point he loomed to to really put that field away uh, at the top of the straight there. And he's not really is he probably our best sprinter in the country? Uh, arguably, you could probably say that he is. The step from the thousand to the thirteen makes me think if they are going to that TJ at the 1200 meters, did they just want to pump all the, like all the the fitness into him that he could over 1300? Maybe he wasn't even there to win. Really? Maybe he really wasn't there to win. And this is all just a fugazi for the TJ where he's going to absolutely blow him away. Who knows? 
Yeah, well, you never know. And I guess his stable mate got the job done and won. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, there was a few few um, good uh, stable – oh, sorry, mounting yard judges there in that Lightning Stakes weekend. And I heard him say that they thought he was carrying a fair bit of condition, you know, and looked like he had a lot of improvement in him. So maybe they they they, they watched that race and thought, well, you know what, we need to wind him up a bit more here for the TJ because – yeah, he just needs to get some condition going. And, yeah, you're right. He can definitely go back to the 1,200 and he'll be third up. He'll be probably rock hard fit then. And, yeah, on his day, I mean, on his day, he's one of the best sprinters in the country, absolutely. I thought the other interesting thing was um, Savadiano winning and then Mizzy comes second at massive odds, $15 to place. So James Cummings won and his old fella comes second. That's pretty, uh, it's pretty, great, pretty crazy if you ask me. You hear, I heard Darren Flindell calling that in the straight about the father-son battle. And that's that's a great call for, for racing fans to, yeah. to see, you know, one of the – I think Savadiano might have got – she got backed into favourite to start. And then you've got this rank outsider trained by the old man pestering Savadiano for the last 200 metres. It's looking like – Gonna get in front, gonna get in front, gonna get in front. It's really good to watch. It was it was actually quite funny for me because I was I mean at the top of the straight I was like, all right, cool, Bivouac's not gonna win. What's going on up front? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, then well, Bivouac did learn to win there, but yeah, couldn't get the job done, I guess. Yeah, it was was really not fun. Moving forward, mate. Uh, race five at Flemington had the incognitous stakes over eleven hundred meters. This was easily one of the most eye-catching wins of the day. Mar Boucher uh, was the fastest of just was just the fastest horse in the race. Fastest at every sectional from the thousand to the eight hundred, eight to the six, six to the four, four to the two. Went nine point three lengths above the benchmark. Looking at figures for the meeting, it was the sixth fastest last 200 the fourth fast uh, sorry the fourth fastest 1400 and the fastest 800 and 600 of the meeting so almost wherever you look top five fastest sectionals for the entire meeting and it goes back to the point that I made before about readily available my boost is there against horses that these are their grand finals you know you've got fast horses out there especially in that that new market handicap, the likes of September runs, what's that, who weren't really there in the finish and we probably didn't see the best of them. But to, to put figures up like that, I thought that was incredible. And if this isn't a good segue into it, I don't know what is. The new market handicap over the 1,200, Zutori took that out, as we all know. 8.5 lengths above benchmark to the 600 metres. They went out fast. And five lengths above from the 600 home. Zutori's run up on the pace with the big weight and ran an 11.95 in the last 200 metres to win. was the second fastest of the race behind Swats That. That is an incredible... That's an incredible style. If that's not doing it tough, I don't know what is, Fish. I thought that new market, although September run was smothered for air and didn't get a run and whatnot, if you... Just watch the race. Zatori's done that tough, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, he's done it tough most of the way down there. And the crazy thing was, at the end, when he when uh, he sort of took the lead there and went away with it, he 
he just it looked like he'd done it easy to be honest. You know, when you just have a look at him, they just look so comfortable going over the line, just sort of screwed it away there. It didn't look like he was under pressure. Didn't didn't look like the jockey was sort of giving him a couple of hits. It was just nice and cruised over the line and yeah, I was really impressed with that. Um I thought maybe September run. Do you think maybe in that lightning stakes it was a really small field of only about seven horses? And then the amount of horses in this field was just unbelievable. Do you reckon that might have scared her off a little bit? She didn't really have any excuses. I mean, the gap came. She was in the wrong part of the track for most of the straight, I guess. But, yeah, there, there wasn't too many excuses there. Did you, did you see any? Uh, the only thing I can think of was, I mean, she jumped well and she was sort of in around midfield, which is probably where you – that's where I wanted her to be uh, because I didn't want her having to make up too much ground in the last – you know, two or 300 metres. But I think Craig Williams made the comments after the race and I haven't seen them for a couple of days, so I don't remember exactly what they were, but I think he might've made mention that she just didn't get into her stride and just didn't get the clear air that she needed. Um, I don't know. I, at, you know, I mean, she did blow out in the market at $2 and something. You don't really want to find an excuse for it. It was a big field. It could have happened to any other horse, you know. It could have just gotten lost in there. And, I mean, half of them did that, and just never even got a chance to to run on. Uh, I think she might have just been a little bit of a victim of circumstance. Had she drawn the outside barrier or closer to the outside, I don't think we'd be having this discussion. I think we'd be talking about how far September runs one of mine, you know, if she's going to go to an Everest and win that and whatnot. Uh, I just think she got in a, a race where they always huddle in the middle. I just think she just didn't see the clear air that she needed. And it looked like Craig was trying. That's racing. Sometimes you just don't get a hole. Oh, yeah, absolutely spot on. And those straight straight course races at um, Flemington are really hard, really hard when you've got a, a massive field like that. Anything can go wrong. And like you said, they were still sort of in a bit of a huddle there at the 200 metre mark, and it was like, "What's going to happen here? Who's going to get their chance?" And Zutori ran away with it, ran, ran away with the best. I think there's a big follow there with Prague out of the Annabelle Nation camp, Michael D. Road, and um, he flashed home into fourth. I think he's usually been known or was was originally being trained as a sort of a 1400 metre, 1600 metre horse before he went to Annabelle Nation's camp. I think she's trained him up as a sprinter or tried to train him up as a 1,200-metre type horse. Um, but the way that, he, way that he finished off that race there, I know he had a light weight, but you'd be looking at him now, 1,400 for sure. Mm. I went out a look, and she's, she's obviously not sure because she's nominated him for absolutely everything. He's nominated, which, which is what they do, I guess. If, you know, but he's nominated for the Doncaster, Rose Hill Guineas, which is 2,000. The TJ Smith is 1,200 and the Arrowfield Sprint in Melbourne, so I guess no one knows where he's going to go, but if he does land a 1,400 next up, I'll be pretty keen to follow, for sure. I'd be thinking from from the races you've just rattled off, I'd be thinking an Arrowfield's probably the way to go, but I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, no one knows what trains are going to do, and like you said, that's why they've nommed them here, there and everywhere. I will go back to the comment that you made about that huddled field and, and September run. And I think, you're, I think you said sometimes shit just happens. And I think that's just what happened. I, I just think that that just got caught and 
I'm definitely I'll never come on here and, and jockey bash because I mean I've never ridden a horse. I'm not going to go out there and do a better job than them. But at you know 40 or 50 kilos and and they're able to steer these incredible athletes around. They do an amazing job as it is. Sometimes you just don't get a run, and it's as simple as that. And it can just it it could be absolutely no fault of Craig Williams. Maybe he maybe he knows in his head something went wrong, and he might be sitting there going, oh, "I could have done this or that better." But he might have also jumped off the horse and gone back into the jockey room and gone, shit, something you know, it just happens sometimes. That's racing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's so many factors that go into it. Uh, like you said, the run is one of them. Horses' uh, attitude on race day is one. Just simply how the horse is feeling. If he or she wants to be there, if she doesn't want to be there, well, then she's probably not going to run. I don't think there was any excuses in terms of getting a run for September run. But, but I mean, yeah, like you said, Field like that, so many horses around, anything can happen. And I think that probably just goes down as a bit of a forgive run and yeah, maybe have a look next start and probably go again with a with a few extra dollars on the starting price, maybe. That's it. Next start, inflated odds, load up punters, get everything back, it'll be fine. Don't stress. <laughs> big picture, think big picture. All right, well, we've bored the punters to hell out of that race fish. What's what have you got next in Sydney for us? Sydney, uh, we've got to go back to the uh, race six, which is the Winona Girl Quality Stakes, which um, I was pretty confident on emanate for Godolphin getting the job done, and she had every chance. She um, had a great run in transit there, sitting behind uh, the leader, which is Volpine, ridden by Robbie Dolan. But she's proven to be a pretty good leader as of late, and um, Robbie rode her quite well. She seemed to switch right off switch right off and then 200 to go, asked her for a little bit of a go and she went again. Seasons was pretty good there, finishing in third um, for Les Bridge and McAvoy, who that's another bit of a stable jockey um, combo that's building quite nicely at the moment. It's seen um, heaps of Les Bridge's horses popping up on Wednesday and even Saturday now and McAvoy's on, so that's one to follow. But, yeah, she, um, she was first up and ran home fantastic, so they might be looking for 1,200 metres next. Uh, and then the last race on the card was the extensive IT aspiration quality 1600 meter group three for fillies and mares. This is a race that I've, I'm not taking any form out of this going forward. Uh, Missy Boyle got the job done leading and kicked nice ride by Jay Ford, but she's come from fifth over the same distance in a benchmark 88 prior to this group three comes here and gets the job done at pretty big odds. Rock O'Clock, who I tipped for Brilliance Racing at half decent odds, got second, running quite well. Actually, sorry, Rock O'Clock came third, but and he, he got a um, pass mark for that. Ridden by Abdullah, who I thought rode him, rode him a peach again. And then She's Ideal uh, is building quite nicely for longer races and definitely a follow. She doesn't usually go too good over 1,600, or it's not her favourite, favourite, um, favoured distance, so heading, heading on to 2,000 metres now, I think she's uh, ideal is definitely a follow as well. What yeah, about last few? I'll rattle through the last three at, um, at Flemington, mate, if the clown car's finished at the front of your place. Um, race seven was the, the matron stakes, and we've uh, gone to the 1,600 metres here for that one. Here's a, uh, here's a race map and, a, and an, a, a result I didn't expect to see at all. Uh, on the day, Sovereign Award ran them into the ground and got the win. 7.9 lengths above benchmark. 
could have been one of the che- it could have been a cheaper lead than lightsaber in the the sires. Scarlet Dream, who you said was going to be your value bet in Sydney before she was scratched to come down here, she was the fastest from the four hundred uh, fourteen hundred meters to the post for the entire race. Second fastest fourteen and twelve hundred for the meeting behind Sosie Bond. So she's gone behind one of obviously one of our best sort of fourteen to sixteen hundred meter gallopers in the country. Um, I think you can definitely follow Scarlet Dream and maybe we were a bit unlucky to see a run in, in Sydney. Race eight was the the Australia Cup over the two thousand metres. This one, highest rating race of the day, twelve point six lengths above the benchmark. And this is where I've given my ride of the week to, to Jai McNeil. He's jumped and put Holmesman in the first half of the field. I think he might have sat seventh and fifth, fourth most of the race. He didn't even crack the top five in sectionals for the entire race. Uh, Miami Bound is the, the horse that I'm taking away from this uh, race for two reasons. The first one is we saw last prep her win at the Valley was on a rain-affected track and she put in a massive run to win at odds. She's gone out on the day and in the Australian Cup and you've got, you, just, you only have to look at the horses that were in that race. I mean, 50 stars was your favourite. There was parody there. You know, you've got Holmes and Best of Days. Nonconformist was tipped early as the Australian Cup winner. But Miami Bound was the fastest of the race from the 1,800 metres all the way to the post. On a good three deck, she could have come on massively for whatever reason that might be from last year. And maybe she heads towards a, a Melbourne Cup again this year. She got the run last year and we sort of pulled the pen through because it was going to be a dry deck. If she heads to the same sort of the same place, I mean, she's run through 18 or 2,000 metres there, better than everything else on the clock. Uh, it was probably just that she jumped slower than the rest and you couldn't couldn't make the ground and that what that's what brought her undone. How did you see the, the Australian Cup fish? Yeah, mate, I was quite impressed with um, Jai McNeil's ride on Holmesman as well. Uh, massive odds and wide barrier to start. And if you watch it closely, which I know you did, but um, Hosen was three wide there for a, with no cover for a long, long part of the last thousand metres. And then Best of Days sort of loomed up and looked like he was going to steal the race. And um, Hosen just fought back to get him on the line, which was quite quite good to see. Big surprise for me was the run by Best of Days. I didn't see didn't see that happening at all, especially Oliver jumped off to ride. Um, who did Oliver ride? Well, he jumped off best of days anyway and probably thought he had a better chance on Warning, who's a, a good horse in himself, or he's probably riding Warning for the rest of his preparation, to be honest. But Luke Nolan rode best of days an absolute peach, which is good to see. Um, Defibrillate was his honest, hard-working self and sort of loomed like he was going to have a crack at the end, but he just got a bit tired there, tired late. As we were talking about with our September run, Similar thing happened with 50 stars, just got himself in a pocket, not a good spot to be in, and the run never came at the end of the race for him. Not sure he would have won anyway, but he didn't seem like the same horse that he was seven days ago. Seven-day backup might not have helped him. Um, so, yeah, and like you said, Miami Bound, we might have a few mares in the Melbourne Cup this year if Miami Bound, Traley Rose, who got beat today, but she'll have a spell and come back um, in the spring and have a crack at the Melbourne Cup. I've got no doubt about it. 
and um, very elegant. So very elegant Miami Bound Trailer Rose. But yeah, it was another another great race and another massive uh, trifecta to tell you the truth. Eleven dollars a place for Chipata. Just some crazy um, crazy results coming out of the moment. Yeah, hundred percent. I will go back to what you were saying about. 50 stars before I touch on defibrillator. I think the 50 stars was beaten by the barrier. John Allen from the jump, he looked like he tried to put 50 stars up in behind the pace to give him some chance when it came into the straight. Probably also recognised that it was a bit tough to make ground. And sort of before the 1,000 metre mark or before the 800 metre mark, sort of got shuffled back by, got shuffled back in the run and was nearly last at the top of the straight and, just so many things went against him. I'm almost putting it down to the fact that he was just beaten by the barrier. Defibrillate looked to peak a little bit early on his run, and maybe that was because he was carrying 59 kilos. He was sort of up three and four kilos from where he's been um, in his winning streak so far this prep. I still thought he was absolutely enormous. The I believe the original plan before he won his previous start, uh, in the name of the race escapes me, was to go to the morning cup. And he looked like an absolute shoe in there. I'd still say that he probably is now. Uh, believe that was the original plan. Whether that's changed or not, Patrick Payne's maybe he's going to sit him down for a bit and bring him back in the spring. I don't really know. Um, but yeah, he was massive around the field and, and looked to put in a really good run. Maybe just peaked a little bit early because of the big weight. It's been a big prep for him so far. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I've got a question for you about Holmes, and where do you reckon he heads to next? He, um, he was stacking up there over uh, 2,000 metres. It was quite fantastic. So have you got any racing mind for where he might head? I don't. I'm torn on whether I could back him wherever he goes. They've run a fast race. And he's when I was when I was talking about sectionally that he didn't hit the top five. I mean he's around, you know, six and seven. He was up around the mark. Um, I don't know what I could. I don't know what I would do with him. I think he. I'm almost half thinking that he just copped an absolute PR on Saturday, and just a peach of a ride from Jai McNeil, and you know, peaking second up. He's run well at he's run well at the distance before. I'm just wondering if all the stars aligned and and he's just absolutely jagged one. Yeah, I think you might be right there. I think you might be right. It's been a I'm good not, uh, couple. Of, uh, sorry, mate. Like you said, it's been a good couple of months for John McNeil winning the Melbourne Cup and then winning the Australian Cup. He's uh, definitely proven to be one of the best jockeys in the country and seems to be becoming a bit bit of a grand final jockey as well, which is. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. And just going back to Holmes, and I'm, I'm not saying that you can't go and back him wherever he runs next start. He's run up on the pace in a fast run race. They were nearly 13 lengths above the benchmark. He's run really well. But, and, you know, you're also looking at what a 17 or 18 horse field. So to be around the top five, you've still run a great race. I'm really just not sure where he goes. And it would just depend on so many things you You'd want to look at the field and distance. You'd, you'd be back to doing the form. I don't think it's one. I mean, when 50 stars won the blaming, we thought, all right, well, he's won the Australian Cup because of the run that he'd put in. I can't say that Holmesson's put the type of run in that you just back him wherever he goes next start. Yeah, I totally understand that. And that seems to be happening with quite a lot of horses we've been talking about lately, you know. 
Um, major strip in the Lightning Stakes and then going on to his next run, you just think he can't be beat. The way the September run, going on to the next start, can't be beat. We're getting short odds and we're taking them. And, yeah, it's been a very interesting couple of weeks in the horse racing industry. And um, I'm looking forward to another one on the weekend coming up. I'll tell you what's happened in the last couple of weeks in the horse racing industry is I've jumped onto this podcast and decided I could throw the M word around. And I'm I'm just way out of my depth. That's what's happened. Who did I sink on the weekend? September run, 50 stars, nature strip, A gone, bivouac. Like, I've got five confirmed. Five confirmed. Like, just like that. I got 50% on the weekend because I'd said nature strip wouldn't win. And I said that um, bivouac wouldn't win. I got caught on the Aegon bus and um, I, I thought that September run was probably the better of the weekend as well. So I'll take 50%. That's still a pass, Mark. You said, you said Nature Strip can't win and I was like, oh, great, Jared's lost the plot. Um, and to be honest with you, Nature, Nature Strip couldn't have run any better. So anyway, I was just lucky that Eduardo was feeling it on the day and that race was that good. I, I still can't get over that race. It was un- unbelievable. That's it. We'll look to wrap it up, mate. What were the last couple links? Sydney there before I get into the last at, at Flemington. I think I've gone through every race in Sydney, actually. Yeah, I've, I've already talked talked about every race, but you just finish us off at uh, Flemington. Race nine was actually quite an interesting one, and now you've caught me off guard because I don't have it in front of me. Was won by Starrell, and I will say that she put in a massive run to win the race and defied the track pattern. I believe what the track pattern was for the day. Um, Race nine was the CUNY Stakes, over 1,600 metres. Personal was a red-hot backed favourite in this race, and I'll stick my hand up because I moved some of the market there in the end of the day. I thought, great, look at all these horses that have gone down. I thought, surely not Personal. I was like, nah, nah, Personal's got this. Um, Star L had the fastest sections of the entire race, fastest splits from the 800 home, uh, came from ninth at the 400 metre mark to win. 400 metres to go, ninth in the race. Like I said, I think the pattern of the day was to be up in the first up in the first four or six. You had to be up around the pace to win, especially going around the circle. To come from ninth at the 400 to win, that's she's the only horse to do that all day. And I think you can definitely follow her going forward. I reckon she'll, she'll uh, if she doesn't win her next start, she'll go bloody close to it, I think. Um, but that's all I've got. From Flemington, mate, I thought it was an incredible day of racing. Uh, not if you load it up on the short price favourites and the big names, obviously, I'm one of them. Um, performance of the day for me, I've got Zutori on top and Jai McNeil, that ride on Holmes, I thought was absolutely incredible. It was, a, it was a fair day at Flemington. Like I said, I think there might have been a slight leader bias and maybe some of the wins that the leaders got were, were tempo-related, but that's how I saw Saw the weekend. I, I still thought it was a great day of racing, mate. Yeah, sure it was. It was a great day of racing at both tracks. And, yeah, I've gone through it a few times, but Eduardo was my star performer of the week. And, and the ride by Nashi as well was just brilliant. And I'm um, also really excited to see what Wild Ruler can do this preparation. He um shown enormous potential in his early two-year-old days and through his two-year-old preparation. So first up as a three-year-old, he sort of blew away some good horses there in the first race of the day. And, I think he might go on to um, race in some big races this year and he's got all the potential in the world. So I'm definitely keen to follow him going forward. Yeah, I am too. He could become a real boyfriend of the show, Wild Ruler. I thought his, his run was was really good and I'm really looking forward to see where he goes. 
That's about it from us this week, punters. The review pod for Australia Cup Day and Canterbury Stakes Day. Um, looking forward in a couple of days, Chris. We'll review. We'll record a, a preview pod for uh, the weekend ahead. I've actually got no idea what's coming up this weekend, but I'm sure we'll both pick the card, so we don't have to worry about that too much. I'm not losing sleep. Um, a, a pleasure again to have been joined by you, mate, and. Uh, I'll let you let you go so you can go and think about nature strip running along next year on your drive to work in the morning, mate. Thank you again for joining us. Yeah, that's it, mate. Thanks for having me. You know, yeah, for sure. Uh, I still can't get over that statistic. 70 k's now for a horse. I just can't get over that. It's unbelievable. So yeah, looking forward to speaking to you again on Friday, mate. And also hopefully that clan out the front stops beeping his horn as well. <laughs> I thought you anyway. were gonna put I thought I thought you were going to pull a horn out from under the desk there, just this big red horn honking away. Yeah, <laughs> trying to take Mickey. <laughs> happy, happy anyway. Yeah, thanks for having me, and yeah, I'll speak to you on Friday or Thursday night for the uh, for the for the preview podcast. Yeah, we'll rec- we'll record it on Thursday. Punters posted on Friday morning. Uh, as we always say, if you've got any feedback for us, definitely send it through. Uh, definitely want to take it on board. Uh, if it's no good, we'll scrap it, obviously. But we haven't got anything to date yet, Fish, so we're doing everything perfectly. That's really, really calming for me. Uh, like I said, that's it from us, punters. Thank you again for joining us. Go and follow the, the Brilliance Racing pages on Facebook and Instagram for our midweek write-ups. Uh, we'll have the midweek Metro meetings on Wednesday, and then we'll obviously have another big weekend on Saturday. So thank you again for joining us, and go and have a feel like punters. Thank you.